This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company, where they believe simplicity is a good thing. Try their lager, IPA, stout, and new raspberry sour, all available at the LCBO. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for a special surprise. It's time to grab the bull by the horns. It's Wednesday, that means you got a new episode of Beer and Bullshit, your favorite beer and bullshit related podcast. I am your host, Ben Johnson. What is happening, bullshitterinos? I got a great show for you guys tonight. We got a lovely guest and uh, we have a a lively conversation. But before we get to that, I just wanted to get to something that was literally just brought to my attention. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday evening you're hearing it wednesday morning but somebody just let me know via twitter uh, a follower named the brewhead his real name is adam shout out to adam the brewhead uh he adam let me know that the tragically hip are pursuing legal action against mill street brewery for the labat owned company's beer called 100th meridian and i think this has potential to catch some headlines so it's a hot little news hot little news item that i find kind of hilarious. If you're unfamiliar, um, 100th Meridian is an organic amber lager released in 2014 by Mill Street Brewery, who are of course a pioneering Toronto brewery that was purchased by AB InBev in 2015. 100th Meridian is also, of course, the name of the fourth single from the Tragically Hips album fully completely from, I think, 1993. Uh, The Hip let their fans know about this Uh, pending legal action. They said, we wanted to let you know we just started a lawsuit against Mill Street Brewery over their 100th Meridian Amber Lager. We all know that at the 100th Meridian was Gord Downey's idea, not Mill Street's. Many of you are probably under the impression that we are associated with Mill Street's 100th Meridian beer. We are not. We know there's some confusion out there, but we don't know. We didn't know how much until recently. It turns out Mill Street Brewery has used our band name, our albums, and even Gord Downey's picture on their social media in connection with the 100th Meridian beer. We aren't happy with that. We aren't happy that you, our fans, are being led to believe that by buying Mill Street's 100th Meridian beer, you are supporting us. We're always about our fans, blah, 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 blah. We tried to sort it out with Mill Street for months, but were unsuccessful. They didn't take us seriously and were frankly disrespectful. We've been around a long time and have always been able to work things like this out without a lawsuit. Unfortunately, not this time. We took this step to clear up any confusion once and for all. So they also link to a statement of claim. Uh, I'll put all these links in the podcast uh, notes if you want to see it. But you can see the HIP is asking Mill Street to publicly dispel any association between it, its goods, services, or business, and the plaintiff, its goods, services, or business, including a public statement that neither defendant nor its products or services are in any manner associated with the tragically HIP. They're also looking for over $500,000 in damages and accounting of profits. Um, they claim the defendant Mill Street Brewery has branded and marketed its 100th Meridian Lager to pass off the fame, goodwill, and reputation of the plaintiff, the tragically hit Mill Street has engaged in a course of conduct to unilaterally and without permission ride on the coattails of one of the most beloved bands in Canadian music history by marketing its beer with reference to the hip and one of its many quintessential Canadian chart-topping tracks at the 100th Meridian. Mill Street deliberately amplified these efforts during the Tragically Hip's final and nationally celebrated tour, which was precipitated by the announcement that the band's iconic frontman, Gord Downey, had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yikes. I mean, I think you could probably make an argument that the beer is a tribute, um, but there's a lot of there's a lot here. They talk about the iconography of the image and some of their cover art. And I mean, it just what a fucking like in a PR battle. Is there anyone you would not want to take on more than the tragically hip? Is anyone more beloved in this country? Like Mill Street should run for the hills screaming. This, regardless of you know the nature of the lawsuit, I guarantee this is going to be in a lot of news by the time this podcast airs. I probably won't even be the first one out there. I feel like this is something that probably could have been handled with. I don't know, an apology, a donation, and something like, oh, we never meant it to offend the Tragically Hip, but I'd love to know what happened that led to this, because, frankly, there's like a 67-page claim statement, and the Tragically Hip seemed pissed off. And, uh, again, this is this is going to be like 
I don't know, rock radio fodder for a while. So good luck, Mill Street. I think you're in for a world of hurt. Um, maybe too late for the apology and donation, but let's just see how this plays out because this is going to be fun to watch. Anyway, enough of that bullshit. Have a great guest on the program this evening. Sorry, the morning for you. Uh, I spoke with Mandy Murphy, the co-owner of Toronto's Left Field Brewery. Mandy is also a vocal and active member of the Ontario Craft Brewers, so she's got a lot of insight into that organization and the politics of craft beer. And uh, Mark and Mandy, uh, Mark Murphy is, of course, Mandy's partner in life and in business, started as contract brewers and actually fought a handful of pretty significant battles on behalf of craft brewers who didn't get a fair shake uh, historically and are now obviously bricks and mortar owning brewers in the east end of Toronto. Uh, we talk about the OCB a bit. We talk about uh, baseball. Man, this chat had me missing baseball. Not just watching baseball, but playing baseball. Um, the last, I think one of the last times I played baseball, you guys don't care, but <laughs> you can't stop me. It's my show. I'm going to tell the story. Uh, it was a tournament. We had a big break in between, so we left uh, we left the slow pitch grounds to find a bite to eat and a place to imbibe, and we ended up at Chuck's Roadhouse. And if you enjoy cheap meat, well, that's the only reason to go to Chuck's Roadhouse. Anyway, it happened to be like three dollar or four dollar martini day. It was like a rainy Saturday afternoon, <laughs> and so. In uniform, I decided to just pound martinis before our next game, which is obviously a stupid idea. Uh, and guess what? It didn't work out well for me. I hit a really well-hit ball, I will say. And uh, as I was running it out, like rounding second, I was like, this could be a triple or a home run. And I got so excited in my gin-soaked stupor, my legs started going faster than my body and I just fell hard and everyone was just like what in the fuck was that it was a martinis that's what it was and my hand I fucked up my hand like I couldn't play for three games after that anyway Chuck's Roadhouse a new sponsor of the show cheap martinis and meat and the old break your hand playing softball that's Chuck's Roadhouse okay for real enough of that bullshit uh, thank you for listening to just me for eight minutes. Now here's someone far more interesting. It's Mandy Murphy chatting on Beer and Bullshit. Uh, I'm drinking 10 Cent Beer Night, our <laughs> double IPA. Oh, I was actually just quickly scanning like news for you guys just to do a little refresher. And I saw that beer mentioned. I was like, oh, I haven't had that one in a while. Is it back in the lineup after some time off or has it been around a while? It was a one-off, and then we brought it back as a seasonal release, and it's almost uh, at the end of its season, so it won't be around oh. for much longer. But it's moving super, super fast, so it's always fresh and really good. I feel like beer is like so hyper local now. Like COVID has made everything like if it's not made within a few kilometers of me, I don't know about it anymore. Like that's fair. <laughs> um, I usually start from the beginning and work my way up, but I feel like I don't know you, uh, you guys. Uh, I've written about you so many times. I feel like we've done this a hundred times. Like I know your story so well. It's just like why we're going over it for the sake of people listening. But uh, it's been like what eight years? 2013. You guys came to that shitty like bar across from my condo <laughs> with a bottle of Ephis and you started talking about your plans. So it's been uh, you guys are vets at this point. I don't know. Eight, eight years is still pretty. It's still pretty new. But yeah, somewhere in the middle in the middle zone of that. Uh, yeah, I remember that back from 2013, we're approaching our eighth anniversary as a brewery and six years having our own physical space. Yeah, that's cool. And I was actually shocked reading that. I did find that 2013, I wrote th something for blog TO and something for my blog, how much you guys have stuck to your plan. Like even then you're like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we wanna find space in the East. We want, we don't wanna have something small. We wanna have a big, you've kind of, you did it. You did exactly what you said you were gonna do. Um, but then you close with saying you want to you want to export to the U.S. someday. Have you done that? We didn't say that, did we? You totally did. You said no. the base. Yeah, you said the baseball theme leaves our options open for exporting our product to the U.S. if we want to. I don't know. One of our one of our sayings that we use all the time around the brewery is like "never say never." We we know what we want to do and who we want to be 
but exporting has become so much less of a, I don't want to say priority because it was never a priority, but less of a thing we're even interested in, to be honest. We get a lot of requests uh, in Canada out of province to, to export our beer, and it's just not something we're really too keen on. We, we think that beer is best enjoyed fresh and local, and it's really hard to control what's sitting on a warm shelf in some other province you can't get to. Yeah. I feel like there, I feel like Ontario's gotten a little better in the sense that there may have been a time when it used to be easier to sell your beer to like, I don't know, Ohio than it was to get it out in Ontario, but maybe that's not true anymore. Yeah, perhaps. I think, I think you're right. There are a lot more options now, especially with the opening up of let's call it like thousands of bottle shops in Ontario with bars and restaurants being able to sell beer, right? It's like, you can get great beer everywhere now and you can get what you might call like rare beer everywhere now. Right. Yeah. yeah there's no more, there's no such thing as rare, rare beer anymore. No, not really. Especially because you, because you can buy directly from nearly every brewery. Right. Yeah. Um, when you guys were opening in 2013, you had, uh, I think three beers, Maris for sure. Ephus for sure. And then 643. Is that still around? Do you guys still make 643? No, we haven't made that one in ages. It was like 643 double IPA. That's right. Yeah, it got quickly replaced with Laser Show. Uh, It was more of a a West Coast style IPA. Mm -hmm. uh, And we were just falling in love with all the stuff coming out of Vermont. So we made Laser Show and it kind of took over that spot. Uh, And then we've recently actually pulled Laser Show out of the LCBO. Uh, and started rotating in some some other double IPAs just for variety and I don't know laser shows probably like a five-year-old beer now and it's a it's a good beer and we love it but I don't know I think we could make even better double IPA so we just like changing it up and having fun that seems crazy to me that laser show is five years old because I remember when it was like a new and exciting I was like wow this is a great beer the new beer laser show it'll yeah it'll make a return in the in the winter and it's something we we still really love we we think it's a great beer too but with an IPA, we want to make sure it's selling as fast as possible. So it's as fresh as possible for people and laser show. I don't know. It was, it was doing all right, but it wasn't, it wasn't breaking any records. And I just don't want to see a, an IPA sit on the shelf. Yeah. And I feel like there's like a need to change it up now at the LCBO. Like people don't buy two of the same thing from the LCBO anymore. I was thinking the other day, like, I don't remember the last time, maybe two of the same beer, but like, I don't remember the last time the last, like the three beers they had in a row were the same beer. But probably never happens. Uh, I think uh, I think you're right. The people are always asking, "What's new? What's new? What do you have that's new?" It was the number one question people would ask when they would come through the doors at the brewery. What do you have that's new? And I'm sure LCBO uh, employees and beer ambassadors are getting asked that all the time. But I think there has been a real a little bit of a return to like what you know and what's reliable during COVID. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Oh, loggers are all day. What is that? What is that go-to beer for left field? You got Glorioso. It's definitely Greenwood. Greenwood's our best-selling beer. Okay. It's not exactly fitting the like lawnmower beer of the uh, comfort beer for pandemic. No, but I think someone said on, on one of your recent shows, just like put IPA on the label and that's all you need to do. And it's true. Like IPA is just, you can't, we can't keep up with them quite honestly. Yeah. Um, have you guys, and we talked about this, I think when you were first opening, but this has always been an issue with craft beer. You want to get into the accounts and they're always like, want what's new. So the idea of a, a flagship year i guess it's flagship february which i think is a hilarious concept but anyway uh do you guys don't do you really have like a flag would you consider you have a flagship year i don't really like that term because to me it feels like you just have this one thing that the brewery is so reliant on uh and i like to have the ability to switch up what that is without thinking that you're switching your flagship or changing your identity but for us uh we have core beers and so ephus is still a core beer greenwood is a core beer ice cold beer is a core beer and that just means we have it in all formats so cans and kegs and multiple sizes of kegs and that we carry it year round. You can always get it from us. So that's what we look for uh, on those full-time taps. And then we have our seasonals and one-offs for rotating taps. Right. Okay. So I'm going to do this for people that don't know you, but I feel like everyone who listens <laughs> to the show knows you. It's a commercial for you every other week now, but I mean, uh, so uh, the, the short version is uh, Mark was the graduate of the first Niagara brewing program. And uh, that's a really interesting story. I actually wrote about for the Globe and Mail once where all those people ended up because so many of them are now at brewery. Like, it's amazing how they've gone on to basically shape Ontario craft beer. And he did a stint at Molson. This is totally the short version. And then it was contract brewing and it was 
literally you were still working and kind of working off the side of your desk and you became employee number one. So that's the fast version of Left Field Brewery in case anyone is wondering who Mandy is. Such a relief not to have to tell it myself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it must get so exhausting. Like, I can see what I ask people like, yeah, tell me about your company. You just see people go, oh, fuck, here I go again. I got to do this speech again. <laughs> so we'll just cut right over it. But I remember uh, I was thinking you guys fought a lot of good battles for craft beer. Uh, you came at it from a unique angle um, because you always were contract brewing because you wanted to build a brand so you could approach investors. But sort of in doing that, you realize that contract brewers had a pretty shitty deal in Ontario and you fought some good battles for them, right? We did. Yeah, we, we discovered really kind of accidentally that we weren't allowed to pour at beer festivals. When we learned that from the AGCO and they told us what we were, what we were trying to do, we're wanting to do wasn't legal. We were just baffled, like we had no no idea. And looking back now, you, should, you shouldn't really make those mistakes if you're not sure you should ask the AGCO what to do and instead of getting into hot, some hot water. But we were shocked because it seemed like breweries had been doing that, contract breweries or any kind of organization with their own bricks and mortar had been doing that sort of thing for ages. And we were just caught in some hot water on it. And we worked with the AGCO and the beer store jumped in and saved the day and helped find a process so that contract brewers could sell their beer directly to permit holders. And that was just one of many, as you said, very unusual battles that would come our way over the years. Yeah. And I remember um, you guys were a late addition to the OCB and you and I have talked about the OCB a lot over the years. Uh, Cause I remember it's the same version I've probably had everyone who's a reluctant joiner is that you can't bitch about it if you're not part of it. And so you recognize that it had its limitations for a while, but then in light of not having anything else, you're there now. And I feel like in a polite way, I want to say you're drinking the Kool-Aid because you're pretty gung-ho about the OCB these days, right? I'm very gung-ho about the OCB. And I don't want this to come off as like a sales pitch or whatever, but early on, you're right. We were, we were on the fence. We became members as contract brewers when we were building out that business plan to secure some investment and build our own space. Because frankly, being part of the OCB gives you access to tons of data and support and help with that sort of stuff. So it was worth it for us. Uh, and then as the years went on and we opened our own brewery, I kept hearing people kind of complaining and moaning about it. And I wasn't sure if it was the right thing for us. And there's always these, not rumors, but like there's a, a perception out there that it, it only represents the interests of the biggest brewers. Um, right. And I've come to learn that that's like, frankly, not true. And everyone has a seat at the table and the bylaws of the OCB literally say that the number of board seats available to the largest breweries needs to be equi equivalent and matched by the number of board seats for the, lo the lowest volume breweries. And so if you look at some of the great accomplishments from the OCB over the last few years, they disproportionately benefit smaller members. Things mm. like hours extensions in your tap room, pore sizes in your tap room, uh, the dogs on patios thing, like the OCB was really active in a lot of those things. And those don't necessarily move the needle or they definitely don't move the needle for the big guys. Uh, so there's, I think a lot to be learned. There's a lot of opportunities with the OCB. And if you're not there, then you really can't complain about it. And you don't have a seat at the table. And so the OCB represents the interests of its members. If you're not a member, your interests won't be represented. Right. Um, this is a theory that I've had, and I mentioned it to Steve at Bose, and he kind of scoffed at the idea, but I always thought maybe it's just that early on when you're small, you don't have the time to be at those things or make those calls or be at the OCB meetings. Steve was like, well, when I started, I was at every meeting and I was I had like four employees. So that's bullshit. So I was like, okay, fair enough. But that's always been like, okay, if it's not that there's not equal representation, are the small brewers just not making an effort? Like what, cause that definitely is the vibe, right? Like it's always been, oh, I feel like they're just representing Amsterdam or just representing Bows or whatever. So is it just total bullshit? And it's just like they're doing, maybe it's a PR issue. Like, I, I don't think, know. I think that's exactly what it is. You don't know what you don't know, right? Our, our chairman of the, of the board is Jeff Dornan and he uh, is in the, the smallest or potentially now moving into the, the next size category. I'm not sure. And I don't want to speak on behalf of his brewery, but he puts in easily double, double the hours than the rest of us on the board. Like he spends so much time working directly with the president, Scott Simmons, on so many random requests, some of them related to government and others related to getting better access to market. Uh, and he puts in a ton of time and energy, so he deserves a lot of respect for that. But he works and he owns one of the, small, one of the smaller breweries in Ontario that's represented on the board. Uh, and I think, uh, like I said, you don't know 
what you don't know. And there's not a lot of opportunity for PR with the OCB beyond things like this. Uh, not that, not that right. I'm on here as a PR spin, but uh, there's not a lot of opportunity with an organization that has one paid full-time employee and that's Scott Simmons. And I mean, he right. is constantly in government meetings, constantly speaking with the members. Uh, and he's frankly working his butt off to, to better our industry. And so I would encourage breweries that don't know what they don't know to take the time to ask the questions and take the time to get involved because the OCB doesn't have salespeople come in to knock on your door and give you and give you a pitch. But I do truly believe that the time and energy we put into it will get will get back tenfold. Um, I'm really actively involved in a lot of those conversations with government and other special projects, uh, and I find it really valuable. And I'm very busy. I have I I, I run half of a brewery, and so. Uh, I think you need to make the time for it because <laughs> yeah. it won't only benefit your brewery, but you'll, you will see the payback on it for sure. What you spend and do is you're going to make, make more than that back with opportunities that you can help drive. Yeah. Um, so I really like, you know, if you, you've listened to the show, I don't talk about beer recipes and making beer. This is the stuff that I really like. I like the politics of it. So I'm going to stick with this for a while, but I, I like, does the OCB need better PR if only to get members involved? Like, the, like Scott Simmons has sort of uh, bristled sometimes at like, you know, people are like, why aren't you talking out against the Ford government? And he's like, what? Like, he didn't say this, but he's like, why the fuck would I talk out against the Ford government? I need them to be my friends. Like, that's the dumbest thing. So fair enough. So sometimes they're like, oh, you're not vocal enough. And and the defense, even uh, what's his name? John Hay before him was like, I don't need to be vocal. I'm doing the work behind the scenes and fair enough. So maybe they don't need PR in that sense, but I think, yeah, maybe there's needs to be, maybe they, you need to start the recruiting committee of the OCB if something's lacking there. We do. I think we do need to kickstart our committees. Uh, there's not been a lot of committee work, frankly, happening over the last 10 months during COVID, but uh, I think there's an opportunity on a membership committee to help help increase members. I think we've got four new members in the last month. So I know the numbers are picking up. We have a lot of programs that really benefit small breweries right now. And I think word is starting to get around. When COVID initially hit, the OCB waived uh waive some of the fees for, for brewery like membership fees um, as a way to help support the industry. And they, or we issue weekly uh, updates about everything that you need to know that's happened with government this week and how it might impact your business. And so just that alone is like worth joining just to get that information yeah. and understand what government programs you have access to, or what the new rules around, what the new rules are for mask wearing this week. Like it's just a simple email into your inbox. And for me, that alone is like, is worth the cost of membership. Yeah. And honestly, this, this isn't a commercial for the OCP. <laughs> I don't want it to be that at all. But I mean, I would say knowing you and Mark, I would say you're the two most remarkably sensible people that own a brewery. Like you look at every angle of a thing and make generally the best decision. Like, I, I, in the years knowing you, you guys have, you've done the work, you've done the math and you figured it out. So the fact that you're like, yes, the OCB makes sense. It's financially viable. I, like I'm sold. I, I mean, I used to be a kind of a critic. It's fun to be a critic. It's easy to lob bombs from the internet. Right. Um, but here's where I've, I've kind of painted you in a corner here because the OCB looks out for the little guys, but they've made a decision to exclude contract brewers, the people you used to fight for. And I've heard some complaints from contract brewers that want to be at the table, but they feel like they don't get a spot at the only industry you know, voice that's out there. And again, I'm making you, I'm making you the OCB spokesperson and you don't need to be, but. It's fair. I, I don't know like to what comfort level I even have saying some of the stuff I've already said, but um, <laughs> to put it simply, I think when we looked at the organization, because I'll, I'll be honest, I was at the table when those decisions were made. That was my, my first, uh, one of my very first board meetings. And it was two, day, two days behind closed doors um, voting on some of these decisions. And I was a really, uh, vocal participant in the benefits of contract brewing, having started as one and having, uh, having been a member as a contract brewer. And so that was a really unique perspective, of course, to bring. And I think what we ended up deciding as a group is that we are very comfortable with the idea of contract brewing. If you seek to build a brewery, if you are a contract brewer looking to be a brewer and, ma and make your own beer in your own brewery and invest in the industry and in, invest in the province and create those jobs. Uh, 
then you absolutely you you absolutely should be part of what we're doing because we're a trade organization and our trade is making beer. And there were a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of conversations about it. And you don't have to defend think, the OCU. Yeah, like, I think, yeah, I think at just, the end of the day, not everyone's going to be happy with that decision, but it's not an easy decision to make because beer has become and brewing and what you've chosen to do as your brewery uh, exists now on this sliding scale, right? Everything from a complete marketing company that's making beer in some other facility that might be an OCB brewery. Uh, and really all you care about is, is marketing to someone who might be, um, someone who might be seeking to build their own brewery or a really talented brewer that happens to be brewing in someone else's space to someone who's about to build their own brewery to even breweries who are looking to make some of their beer that they can't make themselves in their own facility at another facility. So it's not just like contract brewer. It's like everyone brewer. does. Everyone yeah, does. it's like not contract brewer, not contract. Like you, you aren't a contract brewer or not a contract brewer. There's such a vast, uh, right. or just such a wide scale that, that that exists on that it's really hard to draw the line to say, this is, this is who can be part of the OCB. And it's not a fun task either. But I think at the end of the day, we decided based on the rationale that we're a trade organization, we, we represent breweries, um, so if you are a brewery, then you, you can be a member. And if you want to be a brewery and you're seeking to do that, uh, then join us as well. And we're going to help you get there, but you need to be able to demonstrate. And that's one of the rules. I don't know if that came out in your earlier podcast, but that's, that's one of the, the pieces in the, in the bylaws or the rules is that you need to just actively demonstrate that you are working toward building a brewery. And if that's the case, join us. You're absolutely doing the same thing we are, but fundamentally, if you don't intend to have your own brewery or your own space, you're perhaps doing something slightly different than what we're doing. And that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying good or bad. Uh, it's just not part of this trade organization. Good answer. <laughs> this felt like a quiz there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, if I sound like heated, I get kind of passionate about it because it's like, no, it's, it's good. such a controversial subject. And obviously I have like close emotional ties to it. For various yeah, reasons. yeah. Well, it, I'm, I'm actually shocked how often it came up in my first few shows. I mean, I, I, uh, I interviewed Shahan at, at Lost Craft, which I, he's like, I don't know, to me, the epitome of like, yeah, that's a, that, I mean, we talk shit about contract brewers a lot because there are, we know many that get into it as like, you know, they're douchebags to the marketing company, don't really know beer. And then there's people like Shahan who's like in it for the right reasons, but not a beer guy. And they are putting in the work. So anyway, you're just the best person to ask that question. I didn't mean to put you on the spot to defend either side of it, but you, you did well. <laughs> Full marks. <laughs> um, okay, but you did mention, um, let's, now that we're kind of talking about marketing and uh, quality beer, I, I've said this before, I feel like early on breweries, either one's high and one's low, you know, you come with great product and you're kind of handing off, you know, branding as someone's other duties, or you come with branding and the beer is kind of like, eh. Um, you guys from the gate have had pretty solid grasp on both i mean mark's been making good beer since the company started and you're always been very conscious of your brand so i'm curious a few years ago i you didn't publicize it or anything i found an article somewhere by the by the company that did your refresh that you guys opted to bring in a third party to do a refresh because it was subtle but it was like you guys like oh something needs to change so i wonder if you could talk a bit about that yeah, we loved working with Kodo and we, we have a few ongoing projects with them actually, but they're a really great shop uh, out of Indianapolis. And we were just coming up against some challenges with our brand where it felt like the logo didn't pop as much as we wanted it to when it was set against like alongside other brewery logos uh, or packaging was feeling like a little bit dated or clumsy. And we wanted to hold on to everything that we had built so far, but uh, freshen it up and take it in a new direction and make sure that it had that great impact. It was also at a time where we were really starting to expand our retail distribution. So just entering grocery, really growing our LCBO presence and just recognizing that we weren't really up to par at shelf or feeling like we could do a little bit better. Uh, so we engaged Kodo and super pleased with their work. Uh, they refreshed the brand in a way that kind of held on to that identity that we felt we had created, um, but helped move us in a new direction, not a new direction, but freshen it up, I guess, as you said, it's the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah, it's really help. like, it's really subtle. Like, I mean, the article I found, I think it was, it was like in brewing, like the people from Kodo wrote the article about the experience. And if, if you see them side by side, you're like, oh yeah, you can see it. But like, I doubt many people would have noticed that. I mean, it's totally a good move, but it was really subtle. 
I think after five years, that's like a necessary thing to do is to take a step back and look at your brand because we do that every day with our beer and our recipes. Like what's selling, what's doing well, what's tasting great. Okay, make more of that. What's a little bit of a slug or what are we not quite happy with uh, from a taste profile? Okay, let's kill that. And we're just like constantly doing that with the beer, but you don't really do that with your brand unless you make a, it's just so frantic and busy unless you make a deliberate choice to do that. So that was what was driving the decision to work with Kodo after about five years had elapsed. And now we engage them every now and then for new brand development or certain line extensions. Um, But frankly, they built us a really strong uh, set of assets to work with. And we just continue to leverage those and we go back to them when we, when we need some help. Uh, it's also good just to get like an external set of eyes on your stuff because we're such a small team at the brewery uh, and you just get so close to it. It's nice to take a step back and ask someone else for some input and every now and then. Totally. And maybe it's a, a result of being home and like I'm consuming beer literally via my phone and my laptop. I'm so conscious of brand now. Like I'm so hung up on brand. There's like a list of breweries I have that I'm like, what would it cost to get a little bit of brand consulting in it? Like the beer is so, I don't want to name any names, but there's some breweries in Ontario, like the beer is great. And the brand is just like, ugh, like it just doesn't look right. So I think, I think it's a, I wish more people thought about it the way you guys approached it. I think there's a handful of breweries in Ontario that are doing like an amazing lights out job, but like some breweries just, it's like, yeah, we got our logo and let's just make the company for the next, I don't know, hundred years. Like you can go back to the logo and stuff sometimes right that's an interesting perspective all i see is all the greatness out there and like thinking and worrying are we keeping up do we need to do do we need to do more how do we stay ahead uh, because i think the quality of beer has certainly improved drastically over the years uh, but the branding i think has even maybe outpaced it like there's some really great stuff out there right now agreed yeah i've i've to the beer too but the fact that you're paying attention and it worries you to see others do well that's a good thing right if you're like we're great then you're in trouble <laughs> the second you just assume you're leading the pack um yeah i always end up talking i talk, end up talking about brand on this a lot but it's funny because i don't know this. Well, that's what you do for work right you're i do I, I work in marketing communications so that is usually where my head goes um i also want to talk about the east side I feel like I don't think there ever really was an East versus West other than in like the pages of now and blog TL. like no one really gives a shit, but the East is really great right now. Like you guys, uh, I don't know. You, I guess you would be considered pretty early for like six, seven years ago, you were East end, you know, pioneers kind of. And now there's like a lot around you. You've got Godspeed, Mighty York. You've got red tape just open. Like East is kind of killing it. There's so much. We are so blessed with good beer in the neighborhood. It's uh, it's really fantastic to see. And when we opened our bottle shop and tap room back in 2013, uh, we were, I sometimes say the first in the East End, but if you count the, the Mill Street Brew Pub in the distillery district, or even Amsterdam had just opened their spot up in Leaside a little, a little bit before us. Um, but aside from those, there, there wasn't anything, there weren't any other breweries in the East End, but there were great beer bars like the Only Cafe, and tons of demand for great craft beer in the east so that's what drove our decision like we lived in the neighborhood and we love it there but we also saw there's real demand for craft beer in this area and the fact that the neighborhood and the the area has embraced i think it must be 15 breweries in the east crazy Uh, and we were the first in 2013 just five what was that six years ago uh yeah just wild that is crazy that's amazing i also feel like I don't know. It was a long time ago, but like along the Danforth and East Toronto was like the last place that was like, you could maybe kind of find affordable houses. Like for a while it was like, Oh, we'll go East. And now like you die to live in the East and now like the prices must be insane. So I, maybe you guys got in before that. I don't know. Yeah. We got in just when the, the housing market crashed. It was the perfect time. to get <laughs> Hey, people need a drink. You guys were well poised to, to provide. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, what's been like the biggest surprise for you? Cause you are a company and a couple that seems very organized and very planned. Has there been something that knocked you for a loop? I mean, the obvious answer is COVID, but I don't want to make every show about COVID, but has there been something really like where it's been like, whoa, we weren't ready for that. Um, it's hmm, a good question. 
I should have been prepared for because you ask everyone that one. But... <laughs> I have a script. You're on to me. Uh, I don't know. I think I don't. I don't always like telling the story because uh, it makes us feel, seem like real, real dummies. But we grossly underestimated the amount of people that it would take to run a to run a brewery and operate a brewery. We have this like these really silly assumptions that aren't really business plan on how few people it would take to make the whole thing work. Uh, it was extraordinarily naive of us. Neither of us had ever worked in a craft brewery before. Um, I worked in really big companies and even Mark's brewing experience at Molson. Uh, those are like gigantic companies. And so we right. thought, oh yeah, small business, like you can just make it happen. Uh, so the amount of people that it would take and then the amount of uh, time and energy and just like brain space and planning that it would take to cre hopefully create a good workplace um, and a place that people would enjoy coming every day and motivate and inspire a group of people. I think day in and day out, that's the thing that is the most difficult for me. And it's the thing that we, uh, next to like quality and safety, it's the thing that we care about the most. Okay, so let's talk about the HR. I mean, that's the biggest headache. And like, as soon as you have people reporting to everything changes, it's like a whole new, that's when you're getting curveballs every day. Curveball, baseball, great. Yeah, anyway, so, Sorry, but uh, give me some sense of how much, I mean, you guys have grown because you were employee number one and you were brewing beer at Grand River. Like how far have you come, like how far have you come in terms of your capacity and, and how many people actually work for left field these days? Uh, right now we're a team of 22 and that's actually on the, on the slim side, we were, we're very uh, proud or I guess lucky. I don't know which one uh, to not have laid anyone off due to COVID. Um, but we do have a, a smaller than usual team for various reasons. Um, and starting Mark was employee number one. He won't let me have that that employee number that's oh, it right. uh, I was employee number two he actually worked for left field like dedicated um full-time for left field for a year before I quit my job and joined him um but you were obviously doing a lot it's like it was after your life I'm sure yeah I used all my vacation time at my old job to uh set up for beer festivals or, or work on branding and marketing stuff or clean lines or deliver kegs so uh yeah, those are those are some interesting times. But so we've grown, but we're not gigantic. We're we're 22 right now. Uh, and then volume wise, we what did we do? 5,600 hex last year. Um, so we're like just above the 5,000 hex range, um, mm -hmm. and that's pretty similar to last year. Hmm. Um, would you have? Do you think you would have kept growing? If I mean, if not for COVID, or are you guys kind of pretty comfortable where you're at? Uh, no, we, we think there, there are other things in sight for us. We don't want to have a gigantic, I mean, I say this now, but never say never. Like I said before, I don't imagine us having right. a giant production facility in the suburbs or an industrial park. Um, I think we could take the business in that direction. I just don't think we'd gain a lot of enjoyment from it. Um, yeah, but we, we definitely think there's an opportunity for another space. And over the last year prior to COVID, so I guess this would have been like two years ago now, we spent a lot of time kicking the tires on other locations. Um, we got pretty close on a couple of them. We, we have some ideas in mind of what that, would, what that would look like and how it would come to life. But gosh, I've never been more <laughs> thankful uh, and relieved that we didn't move forward at the time. So I think that could be something that's in the future for us as a, as a second location in Toronto. Um, mm. And then of course, I mean, if like, if, Rogers is interested in the brewery in the in the park. <laughs> Hands up, we'll, well call so, us. But uh, this, I don't know this that is, that would ever yes, happen. This, well, let's talk about this because this has obviously been a thorn in my. I've loved to chirp the Rogers Center about what I would call the worst fan experience in all of baseball for a variety of reasons. Forget the team on the field. I've ha I've always hated that stadium, and I'm sorry to all the Skydome lovers out there. And the beer, like, it's never made sense to me that we have the only ballpark in North America that doesn't offer, like, a respectable craft beer experience. Yes, we have Hockley Valley Dark for some fucking reason, but I, you guys seem so well poised to be there. I don't know if that was always, like, do you 
you guys have a mission statement somewhere where you're like one day we will sell beer at the Rogers Center like it seems so built in we will absolutely be there someday I, I can I can guarantee it and I don't have like a signed piece of paper or a plan to be there next this year or next year or whenever we can start going to games again um, of course it's the thing that makes sense for our brand and that we want to do but it needs to be the right the opportunity needs to be the right fit for us and the organization needs to come around with, like with their priorities on it, but I believe they are seeking a better fan experience. Um, I attended a, a town hall with Shapiro and he was talking about his experience bringing craft beer to Cleveland. And I know it's something that he's passionate about. So I know that fan experience is a thing that they're working on and there's lots of rumors of stadium renovation. So I see it happening in the future. I just don't know what that looks like. And especially with COVID throwing a wrench and everything, but better yeah. beer at the stadium for sure it needs to happen they they know it needs to happen they just need to figure out the right timing to make it work i've i mean every year before opening day there's the same there's rumors this year it feels stronger than others because there's the new stadium rumors so i've heard that they're seeking people to be in there but they're seeking a financial investment which I'd love to see the wording on that because that sounds illegal to me, but it sounds like they are seeking significant financial investment from a brewery or a handful of breweries to be there this year, knowing that they'll take a loss because they will be like maybe 50% capacity, but they want you in there now to commit for future years. And I've, I've even heard there's, they're out there actively looking for craft beer. So I don't know if you're part of that conversation or willing to talk about it, but the person who told me was like, don't tell anyone but fuck it i'm saying it on my podcast this, this is what i'm hearing because god damn we just get some craft beer at toronto baseball games like how hard is this uh i'll just say that i know that i know that they're working on it i know it's the thing that's a priority for them and for us at left field it needs to be the right opportunity um and i'm i'm as a baseball fan i'm not too op optimistic about baseball happening in toronto this year unfortunately yeah even though the Jays just spent like $190 million on players. And anyway, <laughs> see what happens. Um, what would you, uh, I mean, you and Mark have been to many of a baseball stadium. You guys even organized trips to Buffalo, right? With like a, a bus full of beer fans. Cause even the Bisons do a nice little craft beer experience, right? Yeah. They've got the craft beer corner. It's such a great stadium. It's such a fun. It's, have you been to a Bisons game? No. Any, have you been to any uh, minor league baseball game? It's been years. We used to have, it, when I was a kid, the London Tigers, which was the, the Detroit Tigers affiliate here at Labatt Park. So guess what kind of beer oh, they yeah. sold there? But yeah, it, it's the uh, the oldest stadium in the world still in its original location. It's still here in London and they still play baseball. What's we the lost name the, of the stadium? I need to write that down for our ballpark. It's called Labatt Park. Oh, we can't name it that. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said something about it being Tigers Park. It didn't used to be called Labatt Park and I'm <laughs> kicking myself for not remembering, but uh, yeah, now the London majors play there. It's still a good, it's still a good game. But uh, I remember when the Detroit, when the London Tigers played there, there was a massive fight to get beer there. It wasn't licensed. Actually, my dad was part of it. He was on the board for the London Tigers. And then they opened up the Sky Dome and instantly had beer. So there was a lot of like, well, this, this is the oldest stadium. This brand new stadium can have beer. So they finally got it and they actually brewed um, like a special edition Labatt Blue that had the London Tigers logo on it just for the game. I still have a, a bottle with the oh, cap cool. on it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be, I'm never fun. gonna drink that little skunky. But no, I, but I have not the, been to a minor, the minor league fan minor league ball game in a long, long time. Sorry, the, the thing was cutting out. But the minor league fan experience is just at the best. It is so much fun. Uh, it's great to just be so close to the field. And so many of the names of people on field that you're seeing play are like back and forth to the majors and the grass is real and it's like the open air. It's just, it's fantastic, the minor league experience. They do a really, really good job with um, creating excitement in the stadium and catering to families and stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun. So we've been going down annually as like a brewery organized trip. The first year that we went was, uh, it was just us in the delivery van, which also happened to be a family van that we would just take the seats out of to deliver beer. So we'd pop the seats back in and Mark was our DD. Uh, and a bunch of us went down, like just a handful of friends to the stadium. We're like, we need to actually like hire a driver to do this every year. Yeah. Who pulls the DD shorts? <laughs> and then terrible. so to hire a driver and hire a bus, uh, we're like, well, we need more people to join us. So we started selling tickets and doing this annual trip, uh, watching cheesy baseball movies on the bus. And it's just a ton of fun. So 
I'm looking forward to the that day where the border perfect. opens and we can gather again in groups and do that sort of thing again. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a Tigers fan, and uh, Detroit is just two hours. I mean, it's I'm as close to Comerica as I am to the Dome, so there's a much better fan experience, and there's a there's a craft corner there with all Michigan beer. Uh, um, there's a cigar lounge, which seems kind of weird. I wouldn't want to sit in there and smoke cigars during a baseball game, but Comerica is really nice, and it's real grass, and it's open. So I'll go there over Toronto any day, regardless of the team on the field. Um, I was going to ask what the best beer and baseball experience is for you, but it sounds to you like you prefer the minors. Uh, we've done two years now of spring training, and that is the most fun to me. It's great because it's like in February, it's the best time of year to get away. Everything here is completely miserable. Uh, it feels like winter's never going to end. And so the last couple of years, we've gone down to Dunedin and the beer scene down there is just, it's really wonderful. It's so much fun. Uh, and so we had one year that we went at the old stadium in Dunedin, the old J stadium, and then they built that new stadium. So that was the last trip we took before COVID. And we got back from that trip and actually had to quarantine because the, the, all of the COVID stuff like came down within a week of us being back. Uh, right. yeah, that was so a year got, ago. Crazy. <laughs> it was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's spring training for sure is my, my favorite experience. We haven't done Arizona yet. We were hoping to have gone this year, but of course that's not happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just really fun to see the, the players before they're, they're fresh and, and ready to be on the field uh, and to see all the, the new names that you're going to get to know over the season to come and kind of get to know them first. I know that sounds dorky or no, no. weird, but to get to know them first. And like, I like to score the games, as you may know. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. There's quite a few stadiums that are like close together in Florida. If you wanted to do like a little bit of a vacation and I mean, no one's doing it this year, but like Dunedin, that must be like, we're talking like a couple weeks till the, the players are there, right? Yep. Yeah. Jesus. That's so weird. <laughs> what a weird year. Maybe the Jays will figure out their pitching before they come back to Canada. <laughs> um. So what's next for left field? I mean, you said, uh, maybe two locations. I'm kind of curious what you think a second location would add other than just like diversity of, you know, another neighborhood. Are you looking to do like better foot traffic for retail? Like I think of left field as one of the better community hubs in craft beer. Like that, that is a place where people go to hang out. They bring the strollers, they bring the dogs. Like, like a lot of breweries are like that, but you guys were kind of like, you know, planted your flag in the East end. And were one of the first that I really thought of as like, this is a family spot. Thanks. Yeah, that's what we that's what we strive to be. And I think there's opportunity for another space like that. You've been to our, our place before. I mean, our hospitality setup isn't great. We have these like folding picnic tables that we throw out once the forklift is done moving back and forth through the day. Um, we use some like kegs with a rope to section off the beer area so that the kids don't <laughs> run in there. Uh, there's so many opportunities to make it better. We do these food pop-ups on weekends, which is great. We have a rotating uh, selection of different um, interesting pop-up foods uh, and new startups. And so many of them have like gone on to, to open restaurants and uh, or catering businesses. So it's really, that, that's that been really fun is to work with all of those partners, but it'd be nice to have a more permanent food setup. Um, not a brew pub by any means. That's not really what we're, what we're thinking, but just more space to like expand that experience and serve it to more or deliver that experience to more people. Because I think, I think it works. And I think there's real appetite for a non like fussy environment where you're comfortable coming with your newborn baby or your puppy. Uh, and it's something that we just really enjoy, but we're just feeling like we're bursting at the seams with it and that there, there are some limitations in the space that we have. Yeah. That's fair. You mentioned you might have some news. Do you want to drop some news? <laughs> yeah, we're excited. Uh, next week, this week, I guess, depending on when, when this uh, airs, we're, we're, um, excited to share that we're going to be Ontario's third, uh, Third is not as exciting as the first, but third uh, living wage certified brewery. Oh, great. Yeah, so we uh, we finally just received the certification. The email trail with the living wage network has dates back to 2018. So it's been something we've been working on for a really, a really, really long time. Uh, and we're, we're just really, really proud of it because it's been something we've been working at for a really long time. And we think uh, that especially in times like these, uh, there is no more important resource than your people. We talked about that a little bit earlier and mm -hmm. we just want to do really do right 
really do right by them. Uh, minimum wage in Ontario is fourteen twenty-five. Uh, the living wage in Toronto is twenty-two oh eight, and you really what that screams is that you can't you can't really live beyond the basic necessities of survival on the minimum wage. Um, it's been a really, really, really long time since we've paid anything close to the living wage, but this certification I think is really important to us because it's just a signal to our team and the industry that we really care about our people and we think they deserve the best. So um, we think it's a step in the right direction for us. Uh, shout out to Muskoka and together we're bitter as the first two living wage breweries in Ontario, Muskoka being the first in Canada. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. It's something we're excited about. That's really cool. So what exactly does that entail? Like, what do you need to do to, to prove that, to get that certification? Uh, it means that, that we uh, commit to um, having our employees earn a living wage. And the Living Wage Network in Ontario, they revisit the Toronto number, I think, at least every two years. Um, so we commit to increasing our minimums uh, to whatever the, the new living wage is at that same cycle. Um and it means that the people who are earning a living wage can participate fully in society beyond the basic survival needs of food, clothing, shelter, and transportation. The living wage uh, network has some interesting like calculations and assumptions that they, they provide, uh, but it's really intended to be like full participation in society with extracurricular activities and hobbies and childcare for your, your kids. You can have a life basically. You can live a normal life that everyone <laughs> should be entitled to live. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's admirable. Not only have you kept your whole staff on during a pandemic, but you're making sure they're making a living wage. So kudos. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. It's something we're, as I said, something we're, we're excited to share and something we're very proud of. What's a good cause. Um, shit. I had one more thing I was going to ask you, but I don't, Oh, I was going to ask about the beer for everybody initiative. I really like that. I don't know. That was like in November though. Maybe that's old news. Uh, it's not old news because it's ongoing and it, it is just like, it's something we've long talked about and we finally figured out in about October, we're ready to launch it in November. Uh, and so this is just the very beginning of it. Like the apparel that you, if you've seen the apparel, the apparel is the first round of apparel, but there'll be, there will be lots more to come um, and lots more um, exciting uh, components of, of beer for everybody to come. But for us, beer for everybody or beer beer is for everybody. It's just like a common thing we say around the brewery to help articulate how we feel about the community. And it means that like someone can walk into the brewery and say, oh no, I don't like beer. That's not for me. And beer for everybody means like there is a beer for you. You just haven't explored beer yet. Clearly, if there's not a beer for you. Uh, I didn't used to like beer, like maybe... 15, 12, 15 years ago, I hated beer. I thought it was disgusting. And it wasn't until I discovered sour beer and dark beer. I was like, oh, these flavors actually really appeal to me. Beer isn't just like a fizzy yellow liquid that tastes this one way. Beer tastes so many different ways. And um, so that's what really attracted me to beer. And so when someone approaches us and says, I don't like beer, we believe that we can hopefully find a beer that you like and help guide you to that right decision. But beer for everybody means like so much more than that. It means that clearly there's been, there have been, there have been people that have been excluded from beer experiences and beer conversations over the years. Um, uh, various communities that have been excluded from those over the years. And we wanted to, to just like make a claim in a really positive and welcoming way that we believe that everybody has a place in beer, even if you haven't always felt welcome in beer. Um, so that's what the initiative is about. We, we create some merchandise, we source it ethically and 100% of the proceeds of that merchandise are donated to a beneficiary that's gonna rotate every quarter. Right now we're working with Foodshare in Toronto. They do some really excellent work. Um, and we're working on um, announcing our next beneficiary for Beer for Everybody. And we're working on our next apparel design. Uh, we have six packs where $2 is donated from every six pack to the beneficiary. And along with all of this, we launched a a scholarship for um, BIPOC students who are entering the uh, Niagara College Brewing Program because we have not only Mark attended the program, but Dan, our head brewer, uh, one of our brewers, Pat, they're all graduates of the program. And so it's kind of near and dear to our heart. And we'd just love to see more diversity in our own industry uh, and would love to help contribute to that however we can. Cool. 
So we didn't talk about beer much, but that's okay with me if it's okay with you. <laughs> totally fine by me. <laughs> um, any new and exciting beers you want to mention? What's new? <laughs> what do you got that's new? <laughs> the seltzer. Do you really? We're yeah, we're about to launch our first seltzer. It's just um, more so like a, a trial batch of some seltzer, and we Mark and Dan did like tons and tons and tons of research on seltzers. Um, oh, research, just pounding seltzer. That's no, so no, like actual like reading <laughs> just... books and watching videos <laughs> yeah. uh, and emailing with all these brewers all over the place. Um, so they really did their homework on it. We're really excited about the the product. I've been I've been tasting it every couple of days, and it's it's really coming together nicely. Uh, and this is just like the first step into our entrance into seltzers. Uh, frankly, like when seltzers first started becoming a thing, we said, nah, like that's not for us. We make beer. Yeah. We don't care about the seltzer stuff. And then more and more throughout the brewery, people started drinking seltzers and enjoying them. And there ended up being like a secret seltzer club at the brewery and people would buy seltzers <laughs> and share them with each other. Like we have to put an end to this. If this many people are drinking seltzers this regularly, we need to make our own. Nice. Well, I've yet to have one that blows me away. I, maybe I just don't get it, but I, and I also am not really seeking them out. So maybe I just haven't found the right one. There's a company in London. It's actually like a, a contract brewing facility, whatever you want to call that, but they, they're called Equals Brewing. So I think uh, there's a handful of former Toronto, like what's it called? Triple, triple bogey brews there. Like those kinds of guys are there now, but there's a, a seltzer company there called Bangarang and apparently they're quite good. So hmm, there's, there's, there's a home, there's a home brewed seltzer that I haven't tried yet that people say are good, but I don't know. I, I consider me not converted yet. So maybe your seltzer will be the one that knocks it out of the park for me. Yeah. I'll send you some. You'll have to let me know what you honestly think about it. Um, not that I ever think you're not honest. <laughs> uh, and then for those who actually care about beer and not seltzer, uh, which is probably your, more of your listener base. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have, we always do an anniversary release except last year's it didn't work out and we never released it, but uh, our anniversary release for eight, which is coming up is going to be a Baltic Porter, which is Ooh. yeah. Another recipe that the, the team has been working on for a long time and we're really pretty excited to launch it. So that's going to be out late February. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. It was great to talk to you. It's been a long time. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's really nice to catch up with you. It's been ages. And now we have an exclusive special surprise for listeners of the Beer and Bullshit podcast. My son is here to talk about his future YouTube channel. Welcome to the show. I don't really care about the show. It's just horrible. Wow. It, I'm really glad I had you on here to just talk trash about the show. All you do on this is talk about beer and you what until nine when I'm usually in bed. You don't like when I'm down here recording no, my show? No, it's super bad. Hmm. And Have you ever listened to my show? Yes, I listened to the worst episode. Ep 1. That was the worst one? Yeah, probably. Why didn't you like that one? When we were going to Grandma's to swim in the summer, I like heard like five minutes of it, and I hated it. <laughs> okay, so what are you here to talk about? You're going to start a YouTube channel? Yeah, well, you might be involved. Maybe oh. in a few. Okay. Like filling my our entire pool with Orbeez. We're going to fill our pool with Orbeez. I yeah. don't even know what an Orbeez is. <laughs> okay, so when is your podcast or when is your YouTube channel launch? 7 years from now when I am 14. Okay, so it's got 7 7 years till that happens. Yes, because I need to think of a name. You need 7 years to think of the name of the show? It takes about 5. Okay. So then five years to figure out the name, two years to figure out, what, your camera setup, I guess? Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, should I have a cameraman? What is, that's, that's things you got to think about. What's what? your show going to be about? I don't know, playing video games, tutorials, teaching people how to play Raft. Sounds cool. If on a Microsoft computer, mm -hmm. it's really old and glitchy. Specifically glitchy old Microsoft computers? Yes, specifically okay. those, because that's what I play Raft on. That makes sense. All right, well, we'll look out for that in seven years. Is there anything else you want to tell people? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, folks. Thanks for being on the show, Sam. I'm just 
talking in a different alien language that none of you can understand. And he left the room. Well, thanks for listening. Now make sure to play baseball outside with your dad.